Hello and welcome. You're listening to Epic Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. My name is Joshua. And I'm Grayson. And this is episode 24, Resilience 2030, a review of the emergency management strategy for Canada. In this episode, we'll be reviewing the newly created emergency management strategy document from Public Safety Canada to identify the key takeaways for practitioners and discuss how the objectives outlined in the strategy might apply to you. We'll also be examining some of the background and history of this long-awaited document and talking about some of the problems which might make its real-world application a problem. All this and more on this In Case You Haven't Read It episode of Epic Podcast. Reading it so you don't have to. So, Josh, I'd like to start off this episode a little bit differently. Okay. You have five seconds to name every disaster buzzword that you can think of in three, two, one, start, go. Okay, framework, resiliency, broad stakeholder comp- uh, consultation, um, time. Disaster. <laughs> oh, not, not too bad. <laughs> I think you got a, a fair number of them. I'm glad you uh, included resilience there. Basically, the framework that we're going to talk about, the document that we're going to talk about uh, is buzzword heavy. If you don't know, on January 25th, 2019, the federal, provincial, and territorial ministers who are responsible for emergency management met to release the first ever emergency management strategy for Canada. So this document is actually a long time coming, and it represents several years of engagement and development, uh, and the idea is that it continues on from the work of the emergency management framework and sets the work priorities for the government's responsibilities as they relate to building resilience and decreasing risk in Canada. So as with every federal document, there's a lot of referring to other documents and government technobabble. And so let's let's just clear all that up. Uh, We'd like to put this all in context and we'll start with acronym analysis. Okay, so the first one here is SOREM, which uh, I think will be familiar for most people. The senior officials responsible for emergency management. That's right. Related but not the same is the FPT, so the Federal, Provincial, and Territorial is what that stands for, Mm -hmm. but it usually relates to either the governments that are responsible for implementing or the ministers who are responsible for emergency management and setting the directions. That's right. So you've got the FPT ministers responsible for emergency management and the FPT deputy ministers responsible for emergency management who are defined in uh, different documents. That's right. And they tell the SOREM what to do, essentially. Next up, DRR, Disaster Risk Reduction. And UNISDR, that's the United Nations International Strategy on Disaster Risk Reduction. So those are the acronyms we'll be working with, but we can't really talk about this document without talking about the Emergency Management Framework for Canada, or the framework. So the framework is really the defining document for how we discuss emergency management in Canada. It talks about the various components. It talks about the principles like all hazards and resilience. It talks about the government's uh, mechanisms for delivering emergency management and making these policies and decisions. And then it sets the, the definitions that we work with in Canada. So it's the how we talk about it. And the other part of it is the Hyogo or the Sendai framework now. Yeah, the, the replaced one. So originally Hyogo and now the revised uh, Sendai. And this is from the United Nations, which is a global framework looking at disaster risk reduction. And it's essentially how risk is understood and uh, has a bunch of development goals and key priorities, which we'll talk about later. But Canada is a signatory along with uh, uh, 158 some other uh, countries uh, around the world. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we mentioned these two documents is because 
This emergency management strategy for Canada is really the marrying of the two. The intent of this strategy is to establish the federal, provincial, and territorial priorities to strengthen resilience of Canadian society by 2030. And if you're wondering where that 2030 thing came from, well, it comes from the Sendai framework. That's right. There's actually seven targets uh, that have deadlines of 2030. So decrease uh, global disaster mortality by 2030, decrease number of affected people, decrease economic losses, infrastructure, international cooperation, and um, uh, extended disaster information. The one of the priority seven targets that doesn't have the 2030 deadline is the one about developing local strategies and national uh, country-specific strategies. And that deadline is 2020. So good job, Canada, you're making the deadline. Yeah, we, we got under the wire with the, uh, the resilience strategy or the emergency management strategy. We'll talk about the action plan a little bit later. But the way I like to think about this is if the emergency management framework is the glossary and the Sendai framework is kind of the forward or the preamble of a book, then this document is the table of contents and maybe the first paragraph of each chapter. So that's how I, I like to put this in context. Uh, and really the meat and potatoes of the emergency management strategy for Canada is its priorities. Yeah, these priorities really line up again with the Sendai priorities. So they have four priorities. This document has five where they've kind of expanded uh, one area which we'll talk about. But the first is enhancing whole of society collaboration and governance to strengthen resilience. Number two, improve understanding of disaster risks in all sectors of society. Increase focus on whole of society disaster prevention and mitigation. And number four, enhance disaster response capacity and coordination to foster uh, the development of new capabilities. Yeah, that's the new one. And then five is strengthen recovery efforts by building back better to minimize the impacts of future disasters. So to summarize, these things are not new. These are uh, recurring themes in emergency management. And I'm going to just put into my own words here. These five priorities are all about building resilience, improving risk understanding, focusing on mitigation, increasing response capacity, and recovery through that build back better framework. So all things that you've heard before. And I think looking at this document, I mean, a lot of it is kind of just good, um, you know, public health advice. You know, your, your physician tells you to uh, exercise and eat right and, uh, you know, watch your screen time. Um, this is kind of the uh, similar messaging for disasters. But what we can try and infer from it is some flavor of what the government's priorities are going to be, maybe even relations to what potentially could be funding priorities. And that's where we, why we care as an emergency manager. It helps us kind of understand where the federal government and the territorial and provincial partners are prioritizing um, their efforts. Mm -hmm. I agree. For the most part, this is a, a motherhood and apple pie document. And what I think the real value of this document is, is it puts all of that uh, UN global strategy into a very Canadian context. And the examples in here are, are what really brings it home. So for your listening pleasure, we have gone through each of these priorities and drawn out what we think are the most important and applicable parts to general emergency managers. And we're also going to talk a little bit about some of the problems that we think we might expect to encounter on the way to their implementation. Priority number one was building resilience. This priority is all about engaging and empowering and collaborating individuals to build resilient communities. And the thing that I struggle with in all resilient conversations is that you can't really talk about resilient systems or resilient governments without talking about 
the people. And from this strategy's point of view, it's about getting out of the people's way. It's about empowering the people and not placing those government limitations on their ability to adapt and recover. So I think it really does make the, the link between the practice of resilience at an individual level and how that interacts with policy. So for example, one of the very specific strategies and one of the very specific deliverables was including Indigenous communities. And this is a much awaited learning. It is, it's a, a trend over the past several years in lots of disasters such as the Fort McMurray wildfires where Indigenous communities who were directly impacted and directly able to respond in some capacity to these disasters was simply left out of the response, was simply left out of a lot of the decision making and that has to change and I'm very happy to see that being addressed in this strategy. The second category is improving our understanding of risk. Now, all risk assessments uh, uh, fundamentally you know, need to be informed by good evidence and good data. And that's where I'm happy to see some mention in this strategy about strengthening Canada's uh, approach to gathering and disseminating high quality disaster data. There's some really basic questions about disasters that we can't answer right now in terms of how much does a disaster cost and how do you compare the impacts of different disasters and what would the cost be to one community versus another. Things like that are really, really hard to, to measure and depending on if you're looking at insured losses or you know opportunity costs, I mean, there's so many different ways to quantify these things. So we've got a little bit of a a paucity of data at the moment and I think uh, strengthening our uh, common methodologies in terms of how we're going to collect and, and disseminate data is, is, is great. Uh, also though looking beyond the numbers the, the strategy talks about the other realms such as um, cultural practices, local and traditional knowledge which I think is really important to try and triangulate um, that those hard to answer questions. Mm -hmm. I thought this was really forward-looking. It could have been a, this is what a high looks like in Canada, just do it. And that one-sided view of just the hazard and just the impacts is simply not enough for Canada. We have such a diverse culture and it's such a diverse risk appetite in different communities and that has to be reflected. So I thought that was... Actually, quite amazing that yeah. this got captured in. in I think that's great. Yeah. And and looking at again the publicly available stuff. So this, you know, doesn't need to be hidden in some database somewhere. Having publicly accessible flood maps, having publicly accessible, um, you know, risk calculations that you can make those decisions and make uh, wise use of, of land use and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I think back to uh, one of the classics in BC with. Uh, you know, the tsunami warning signs, you know, you're now entering a tsunami zone. That's got a bit of a visceral, um, I think, front of mind awareness when you drive by the sign. So, you know, what about other things? You're entering a wildfire hazard zone, you're entering a floodplain, um, you know, uh, just different communication strategies for uh, expressing risk and then understanding risk uh, and all its different uh, uh, meanings in terms of dread risk and, and risk personalization. That's a whole separate conversation, but I think it's great that it's been addressed and uh, I can imagine and I would predict we'll see a bit more emphasis on awareness campaigns as a result. Mm -hmm. Priority number three had to do with mitigation. Now the stat that they used uh, was from the UNISDR and it is the six to one stat. So basically every dollar that you spend in mitigation or preparedness, uh, you save six dollars in response. And that's the idea here. They talk about structural and non-structural mitigation, incentivizing structural and then encouraging non-structural. The one that came up for the non-structural was affordable flood insurance 
and some of those public land use strategies. And I think that needs to be where we're going, and I'm glad to see that was identified. The fourth uh, topic was enhancing response capacity. So this section is a little bit vague, but it, it talks about resilience again and helping to improve the collaboration um, within a response. Uh, there's a lot of wording about uh, disaster exercises and testing and, and group exercises, which I think is will be welcome to most emergency managers. And then also talking about common uh, communication and public safety communication strategies. So uh, I think in one sense, they're looking at the technical side in terms of uh, public frequencies. There's been a lot of work over the past decade in Canada in public safety communications in terms of standardized um, spectrum management and um, interoperability for radios. Many provinces uh, in Canada have uh, either regional or provincial um, shared communication networks. Uh, there's the older systems like FleetNet in Ontario, there's Afrox in Alberta, the Maritimes have uh, provincial uh, uh, radio systems. So um, not quite the P25 standard, which was envisioned 10 years ago about this magical uh, system where we can all talk to each other, but I think it's a, a great step forward. So there's the technical side, and then there's also the non-technical side, which is standardized terminology. I think, you know, we're seeing a move towards plain language, and we've thankfully gotten away from 10 codes and things like that. So uh, moving uh, towards better communications is, is a big part of this. Now, priority number five is all about recovery and that building back better mentality. And it's not just buildings and infrastructure. And I was so glad to see that that was, that was emphasized. It's about building the frameworks that support buildings and infrastructure. So the legislation, the policies, the plans, the programs, all of these sorts of things that surround the, the obvious damage and that really contribute to increased risk taking that need to be changed. Uh, the best quote that I think came out of this entire strategy was this, that the people affected by the disaster should be a part of the decision making. It seems really straightforward, but it, it doesn't really happen right now. Uh, the recovery is based on what they were before, and unfortunately, as we know, what they were before might have contributed to the disaster. So building back better, not just building better flood mitigation, building yeah. better systems of government. And, and that, I think, is the, the key takeaway from this. That's right. Easy to say, hard to do. Mm -hmm. So what about next steps, Grayson? Yeah, so those five priorities now need to be staffed. So the SORM has committed to both an annual review and a five-year update of this particular document, but more importantly, and to get in just under the wire for their Sunday framework commitment, uh, they have committed to developing an action plan to support this strategy, which will be due 2020. So the idea is that they're going to assign different tasks, some to federal, provincial, territorial governments, some to the SORM group, and probably some to Public Safety Canada as well. and. History has shown, unfortunately, that this action plan portion of uh, all the documents in the federal realm is kind of where things start to fall apart. Yeah. So, I mean, I have a hard time, uh, you know, separating all of these different strategies and frameworks and straw man kind of documents. I mean, I think it's useful from a local emergency manager perspective, if you're making a municipal emergency ma management plan, you can refer to these larger documents, and that is nice. You could, you know, by saying that you know our province, whatever province you reside in, um, is a signatory to this uh, national strategy, which is also in 
uh, in sync with this international framework. Uh, I think that lends credence to your planning efforts as a kind of third-party reference. But uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's hard not to be a little bit uncertain about what will we actually see in terms of real-world change and implementation. You know, the thing that might make this different is that there is international pressure and deadlines now, whereas some of the other action plans are just, they're kind of unenforceable in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I'm hopeful yeah. that we can see a little bit of uh, forward driving on this. Just to recap, you know, those those five priorities of uh, building resilience, improving understanding, uh, focusing on, on mitigation response and the build back better recovery. I think out of all of that, my three takeaways for uh, really down to earth emergency management strategies mm -hmm. is include indigenous communities. Mm -hmm. If you're not doing that, you're not resilient. End of story. Second one is uh, the work that's going on for flood plane mapping and flood insurance. And then the third one is all about public alerting. I think those three very specific examples and deliverables in this, in this particular strategy are things that we're seeing work on and are things that we should start to dedicate our resources towards, even at a municipal level. Yeah, and I guess my top three would be uh, data, data and data. So the, that is what, I mean, that's the big thing that we miss in our emergency management planning is we refer to, you know, um, you know what's FEMA doing and what these not necessarily evidence-based recommendations. And we really need some, just some hardcore data to actually make sure, are we doing the right things? Are the, uh, the planning cycles we're going through, are they actually doing what we intend for them to do? And are the risk profiles that we're making these decisions um, actually the, the, the riskiest things? So I think the more we can have that evidence to inform our, our practice, the better. And uh, I think all emergency managers should, should always be looking for, you know, show me the facts. <laughs> mm -hmm. So certainly the right direction set by this strategy and we look forward to seeing a uh, achievable work plan come out of the SORM group. Just before we go, I do want to take the time to mention that Epic Podcast is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is powered by ATB Financial. If you want to make a difference for the cause that's important to you, you should know about the ATB Cares program. Uh, ATB Cares lets you increase the impact of your donations. If you donate to your favorite charity, for example, uh, via atbcares.com, ATB will cover the fees and add 15% to your donation. In 2017 alone, over 4 million was donated to uh, different charities through ATB Cares, and it's a great way that you can support a worthy disaster-related cause. And that's all for this episode of, in case you haven't read it, uh, on Epic Podcast, the Emergency Management Strategy for Canada. Reading it so you don't have to. If you'd like to find out more or get in touch, you can email us at team at epicpodcast.ca, send us a tweet to username epic underscore underscore podcast, or visit our website at www.epicpodcast.ca. And also don't forget to check out our partner, the Alberta Podcast Network at albertapodcastnetwork.com. You've been listening to an Epic Podcast production, a proud partner of the International Association of Emergency Managers Canada and member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATV. As always, Epic Podcasts are designed as a supplementary educational tool for the EM professional on the go, and the views and opinions explored during this podcast do not necessarily represent the agencies or organizations that we or our guests may be a part of. For more information about the show or the people on it, visit our website at epicpodcast.ca or follow us on Twitter at the username epic underscore underscore podcast. Stay tuned for more on the next episode of Epic Podcast current, relevant, Canadian.